Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Hello, Alex. Hello, Bobby. How you doing? It's, it's weird to be back in this format, this setting. I know. We, I mean, we keep talking about how we were together to do the last two pods, but do you think that even really made a difference to anyone who was listening? You know, I, I think it made a difference to us. I think it made a difference to um, to the to the energy to the energy, and and I would hope that the listeners were able to vibe with that. You know, we're kind of on our level. Like, felt like they were in the room with us as well. I hope that they feel that way all the time. I hope that they feel that way right now, despite the fact that we're back on Zoom. It's good to see your face again. Glad you got home safely. Thank you. Yes, got that got that negative test. You know, baby. Props we're back. Props past that test. Um, I have a I have a random question per usual to start the podcast mm-hmm. out for you. Mm-hmm. But this week's question is slightly more serious and I'm not even being sarcastic. It's something that I've been thinking about for the last week here and there and I want to hear your opinion on it. What does the phrase America's pastime mean to you in 2021? When you hear that phrase or when you see someone tweet that phrase either in earnest or in jest or whatever. What what comes to mind? Uh, well, Bobby, I think that phrase refers to baseball. Um, that's the one that's usually, I think, deemed right. America's pastime. Right. But does baseball still embody that phrase for you? I mean, let's reverse the chronology. If I say baseball, do you think, yeah, America's pastime? I mean, kind of yes, because everything that is deeply embedded in America is also very deeply embedded in baseball, right? And like the fact that it's been around for you know, 150 years at this point um, means that it has, I think, gleaned America's best and worst inclinations and folded it into the sport. So do I think it is representative of America in 2021? Maybe not, but, you know, we do get on here every week and yell about... racism and yell about toxic masculinity and i mean hell if those aren't the hallmarks of the the big old us of a then uh, then i don't know what it is okay i just wanted to check in there's no okay. other there's no other tie back this was just a random thought that i'd been having i was like you know what this phrase is it still outdated should we still use it sounds like we still should so we're keeping america's pastimes <laughs> label how about that do we need to like signal the people that we're kind of doing it with a wink and a nod, you know, because I feel like if you just use America's pastime with a straight face, like you're really aging yourself. You're really kind of tipping your hand to to people on how you think about the, the, the beautiful game of baseball. Yeah. You have to say like, yes, it's America's pastime, but that also means all of these complicating <laughs> things that would make people feel like you're a normal person when you're with sitting with them at a baseball game. Yes. Yeah. People definitely think I'm extremely normal as I turn to them and talk about toxic masculinity <laughs> as Nick Castellanos drives one to left field. That's a 4-0 <laughs> ball game. 
I promise that we're normal people to see a baseball game with. Like, we don't talk about this kind of stuff when we're just sitting there spitting seeds, drinking beers. We're just, we're chilling. Exactly. You know, art, artist. We can, we can look at them. <laughs> Mutually exclusive. That's fair. Um, okay, we have a ton, a ton, a ton of stuff to talk about that isn't just vaguely theorizing about the phrase America's pastime. Uh, but before we get into all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Basley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, there's no other place to start this week than on a sad note. Um, the absolute legend, Hank Aaron, passed away this past week. Uh, I, I am kind of at a loss for where to begin. Where, where do we begin? Because... He is, if not the most legendary, one of the most legendary players to ever play this game. Obviously, he was the home run king before he was surpassed by Barry Bonds. Um, He came up in the 1950s at a time when baseball was going through a rapid change, obviously, that all of the listeners of this podcast know about. But beyond that, a very titanic and important figure outside of the game of sports he transcended that he was a civil rights icon he was vocal about that um and he passed away at age 86 this past week um man i don't know i i woke up to this news on the west coast and it had just happened and i kind of just mailed it in for the rest of the day it was friday and i didn't really have a lot going on and it just it just earnestly made me really sad. And I know no one needs to come to a podcast like ours to listen to us talk about how sad we personally became from this. But man, it's just the type of thing that you never think about. You never can think to imagine that someone like this, someone as important to the sport that you love, would no longer be around. And he was still around. You know, I saw headlines in the news three weeks ago that he had just gotten his coronavirus vaccine and you know, he's talking to voters in Georgia or talking, you know, talking about how people need to go vote in Georgia and then that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm already rambling and you haven't even spoken yet. No, I uh, if you want to toss it over to me, I can ramble, pick up where you left off. <laughs> uh, no, you're completely right that it's the kind of he is the kind of baseball player that I think for fans like you and I who are young and never actually got to witness him play. He's the kind of player that you sort of take for granted, right? Like I did a, you know, I did a, um, a project on Hank Aaron in like when I was like 12 years old. Wait a second. Wait a second. I was going to say this too. I did the same exact thing. I was going to say, so in elementary school, we had to pick, biographies to do and we had to build yep. like a board of the person and we had wow, to say everything Jesus that they Christ. did and i chose hank aaron yep yeah, yeah same that one sat in the corner of my room for quite a few years it's probably still in my parents basement yep <laughs> uh, and i don't know i think that the the way we talk about babe ruth is like the way that we should talk about Hank Aaron in a sense. And I think that he kind of didn't receive that treatment because he was still around and it felt like really recent and it's, and it's almost easier to kind of uh, mythologize 
and place on a pedestal these players who seem like they're of a past era who are no longer with us. Um, I don't like. I don't know. I don't know how to do this as a as a baseball fan, which is a weird admission. But like, I don't know necessarily the proper way to appreciate players that are still around, but but who you never got to kind of witness. You know, yeah. um, a, a player like Ken Griffey Jr. is, I think, on that cusp for me where I never really got to actually see him play like in his prime. Um, and I try and appreciate him every moment I get, you know, and Hank Aaron was like 20 years too early for that sort of thing. But there are players from every era who just absolutely deserve all the, all the praise and recognition. And we should talk about them like yearly, you know, it makes me want to on this podcast with you, go and explore the lives of some of baseball's like, like just best players. Like it feels weird to, yeah. it feels like a, you know, a first week of tipping pitches back in 2017 topic where we're like, let's just talk about w- the best players in baseball. Let's talk about Ted Williams, but like also let's talk about Ted Williams. You know, these are guys who led absolutely brilliant lives on and off the field. And I think deserve, um, deserve the airtime. I don't want to I don't want to have to eulogize them once they're gone, right? I also think the space that Hank Aaron occupied in my head, especially growing up, even now as we think about baseball, if not 100% of the time, 95% of the time. I know that baseball has like an obsession with leaderboards and the stat books and the history books and chasing the all-time leaders and everything. And that's part of the reason he had such a historic and legendary career is that he was chasing down Babe Ruth and he finally got there and then he surpassed him and then he kept adding to this record and everything. And he made it seemingly almost insurmountable. Obviously, Barry Bonds came around and surmounted. But if you look at the home run leaderboard, it's, it's a lot of more recent guys. And... I almost feel like Hank Aaron chasing down Babe Ruth was the precipitating event for everybody thinking that way about the home run leaderboard. Like, oh, now I want to chase down Babe Ruth. Now I want to chase down Hank Aaron. And Willie Mays, along with this, because, you know, in the top 10, only three of them are really guys from that era, from pre-1960s, pre-1970s careers. And... For Hank Aaron to do that in an era when home runs were not through the roof like they are now, they were not quite as prized by front offices as they are now. So therefore, he had to do it while also hitting 300 is just, frankly, astonishing. And that's kind of where he lives in my head, where he like he, his existence, his career, the picture of consistency that he showed over 23 years just continually going back, hitting 30 home runs, 30 home runs, 30 home runs, sometimes 40 home runs, sometimes only 25 home runs. It makes that home run leaderboard that much more legendary to have two figures in baseball history and three figures if you include Willie Mays that you're kind of chasing down now. Because if it was was just Babe, Babe Ruth's record, we wouldn't think about the chase in the same way that we do because we would have never seen someone actually chase it down and do it. And I mean, that's part of the reason that I think obviously we have this extremely pro home run culture now 
And I just think Hank Aaron is a huge part of that who doesn't quite get as much credit. And maybe it's because of recency bias, but doesn't get as quite as much credit as some of the steroids era guys like McGuire and Sosa and Barry Bonds. Like all of this chicks dig the long ball, long ball stuff. Like everybody dug the long ball for the last 50 years because of Hank Aaron. Do you know what I mean? Like there could have been a, a long gap between Babe Ruth and the steroids era, but there wasn't. And I feel like sometimes in the collective consciousness, we kind of allow there to be where Hank Aaron is just kind of sitting in there as the home run king. I think he definitely like kind of set the standard of what a modern era home run hitter looked like. I mean, he was the model of consistency. And it feels weird to get on a podcast and be like, was Hank Aaron underrated? But the answer is yes. <laughs> In part because you can never properly rate players like this, right? Like it's impossible to fully kind of quantify um their impact on the game. And there have, are people who um who well, have you, you kind of can though, because he's seventh all time on the career war leaderboard. Yes. Yeah. But but how do you how do you contextualize that? You know, like how do you how do you quantify that like intangible impact? Right. Like, yes, like we can sit here and say that he was one of the greatest players of all time and maybe the greatest home run hitter of all time, depending on your mileage of Barry Bonds or A-Rod. But I, I don't know. Like, it's it is, so hard. It's hard. To, it, it's hard to think about, like, you know, what the game may have looked like if he if he never played. Um and it's also, I think, really important not to kind of minimize what he was playing through, right? And the Absolutely. era, the civil rights era that he was playing through. Um, I, we're certainly not going to get on here and say that he, you know, he persevered through struggles and hard times and, you know, but he ignored all the bad things that came his way. Um, and, you know, he handled himself with, with grace because he's a a superhero and boy, just we should all look up to him and the grace that he like nah, dude, dude faced like racism on a very real level every single day that he played. Yeah. And while he was and growing like every single day that he didn't play after he retired, yeah. like th- that's another thing that I want to say is, you know, you and I talk a lot about how MLB doesn't, embrace their responsibility, embrace their role in the way that baseball was segregated, in the way that these players faced the vile racism that they did face in MLB parks and MLB clubhouses even after the game was integrated. MLB is very clearly happy to talk about the accomplishments of Hank Aaron. They're probably a little less happy to reckon with the responsibility that they held for creating some of the obstacles that he faced while achieving those accomplishments. Yeah, I I think it's a, the answer is really hard, but this kind of reminds me of the conversation we had with Clinton Yates too, um, about what it means to kind of reckon with, with your thorny history, with your history of racism and the active role that you played in that as a, as a business, as a league. Um, yeah, them just coming out with a statement saying, you know, sorry for this. We recognize our role and we're continuing to learn and grow. You know, we've, we've taken some time. Like, 
that isn't going to cut it. But like actually saying, okay, how can we take steps to undo these structures that we've put in place that have created large barriers to people? Um, what does it mean to actually explore, you know, the lighter parts of our history and also the darker parts of our history, right? Like, man, I don't know. But I I also don't want to let that overshadow the very incredible baseball player that Hank Aaron, like, just fucking was. Man, I, you ever just go to someone's baseball reference page and just, like, look at it? Like, not even anything in particular. You're, ju- you're just, like, looking at the page itself. Fucking, you see that little column of all-star, uh, you know, achievements? It's It's insane. Uh, last thing I want to bring up on Hank Aaron, and we could probably spend this whole podcast talking about Hank Aaron, but we're not qualified to do that, and there are many people who are. But I, I was reading um, something popped up on the MLB app from Anthony Castrovinci, an article that he wrote titled, The Thing That Stopped Hank Aaron and Willie Mays Outfield Together Was $50, <laughs> which I don't know if you read this or if you saw this or if you knew this. Um, when Hank Aaron signed with the Braves, apparently he was quoted as saying that he also had, this was a, from an article or an essay that was written in 2000 titled Batting Around by Donald Honig. He was, he gave a quote that said that he also had a contract in his hand from the Giants. And the only reason that he ended up signing with the Braves is because the Braves beat the Giants offer by $50 and the Giants didn't want to match. Otherwise, he would have went and would have played for the New York Giants and he would have been in the outfield alongside Willie Mays, which is an unbelievable sliding doors moment. Yeah. Because those two guys in a lineup together is the greatest combination of hitters to ever be in a lineup together. They played in 22 All-Star games together, by the way, but they never played on the same team. And I want to say both of them only won one World Series. Hank Aaron in 1957 and Willie Mays in 1954. I think that number might have been... I mean, I don't know for sure. I, I haven't analyzed the lineups of every team in baseball at the time, but I think that number might have been a little higher if uh, the Giants just came up and paid the $50 extra for Hank Aaron. <laughs> uh, frankly, actually, now that you told me they only each won a single World Series, I I think much less of them now. <laughs> I mean... I, Different era. I, if you, era, if, you couldn't, if you couldn't lead your team to a championship repeatedly, like, were you that As good? As the right fielder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about the last week or so in baseball transaction news before we get to some of the other heavier topics of stuff that has happened in the last week plus. I want to talk to you, Alex, about a couple moves. A couple moves. Let's do a little bit of analysis. What do you Hell think? Yeah. Some hot stove action. Well, some stuff has legitimately changed. Got my olive week. oil ready. Yes. The Yankees have signed Corey Kluber to a one year eleven million dollar deal. And they have also just recently traded for Jamison Tyone. They give up three of their top twenty prospects, but none of their top top prospects, and no one left at the major league level. And they re signed LeMahieu as well. Oh, and they re signed LeMahieu since we last talked. That feels like a million years ago. I know, yeah. The Red Sox signed Kike Hernandez. And Garrett Richards. Then there's a whole other Orioles thing that I want to talk about separately. But just those moves, Alex. Are you like, yeah, baby, hot stove, off season's here. We're doing it. 
I mean, it is weird to like be getting alerts on my phone about moves that are going on. You know, I kind of forgot what that was like. I've just conditioned myself to every day get, you know, a push notification from MLB.com that's like, these 10 stars could be heading to your favorite team. Uh, our, our reporters discuss. It's so insulting when they send that to you because none of those 10 stars are going to your favorite team. <laughs> wow, roast me, even though it's true. Uh, damn, I love Tyone. The yeah. Yankees are going to be good, maybe, potentially. I mean, a lot of like kind of lottery picks, so to speak. Um, guys well, who I they're guess, counting on, hang on, hang on hang being on. able to... You said, wait, the Yankees have also re-signed LeMahieu since we last talked. You know what else has happened since we last talked? George Springer to the Blue Jays? Also that, yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Michael Brantley almost to the Blue Jays and then back to the Astros. Yeah. Damn, we're doing a bad I, job of... This is why we don't talk about news. <laughs> Continue fine. your point about how the Yankees are going to be maybe good. That's just what reminded me of it. Because the Yankees might be good, but also the Blue Jays might be better. You think? You think the Blue Jays are going to be better? No, I don't. I see. I don't really think the Blue Jays are going to be better, but I do think that the Yankees are like a couple injuries away from their rotation to get to to having a really hard time getting through the AL East because mm-hmm. I don't think necessarily that the Rays are better than the Yankees, even though they performed better than them last year. And given that they traded Blake Snell away, they've taken a step back, and I want them to take a step back because I'm mad at them for trading Blake Snell away after they made the World Series last year. But, knock on wood if you lose Garrett Cole for any part of the season. Knock on wood if Debbie Garcia has a tough start. It's like, your rotation's not looking that good, and that's why you go sign Corey Kluber. He's a massive question mark, though. And that's why you go trade for Jameson Tyone, who's legit. However, that Blue Jays lineup is terrifying. Yeah. And if they're all good and they're all healthy and they're all performing, that's the best lineup in, in all of baseball? No, because of the Dodgers and the Padres. But it's definitely the best lineup in the AL East. Yeah, but like if Vlad Jr., who we whose name we haven't said on this podcast in maybe a year, uh, if he like actually puts it together next year, I know he's like lost some weight and has been doing a lot of work this offseason. Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear that he's in the best shape of his life in Vlad a couple Jr. weeks. Vlad Jr. is on the same pandemic path as me, where you gained a bunch of weight for the first year of the pandemic, and since the year just happened, to, <laughs> since the pandemic just happened to go on another year, you just have another shot to lose all of that weight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, it, they have a lot of guys who, again, like you said, like if they can click, if they can kind of put it together, shit, that's scary. And I, in a sense, I have to like commend them for still like they still had a they made the playoffs last year right like they they lost in a wild card game um yeah but there were eight teams in the playoffs okay yeah but you know again we're gonna probably have that again i don't know yeah point being that like they were on the cusp and they very easily could have said we have no reason to go after springer we're gonna sign a couple utility guys and call it a day and I don't know. It it's certainly not like chips on the table, but I, it kind of is in a in a sense. They're saying, you know, this is our window, right? We're going to sign George Springer, who's thirty one. Yeah, thirty one. Yes, I think mm-hmm. it's not nothing. I'm excited if I'm a Blue Jays fan. So what you're saying is thanks, Rogers Communications. That's what. That is exactly what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> 
and and also like moves like this are almost more justified when everything is such a crapshoot to get into the playoffs at this point. Um, if it's going to be half the league getting in, like that little edge in a you know a five game playoff or a three game playoff, like actually is going to matter. I'm just going to do something that we don't often do on this podcast, which is I'm just going to read you the Blue Jays lineup. Like we're just going to analyze this lineup for a hot sec because, yeah. right, our listeners don't come to hear, you know, fantasy baseball analysis, or they don't even really come here to to hear nitty gritty single team lineup analysis. But when a team makes a splash like this, and when a team is clearly saying, "Hey, we have a lot of fun young players," let's add in kind of in the White Sox model, let's add in some veterans like George Springer to round out the rest of this lineup. We want to acknowledge that. So here, here I go. George Springer, Kevin Biggio, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Loris Gurriel Jr., who's fucking amazing, by the way. Yep. Randall Gritchick, who's got a lot of pop. Rowdy Taez, not an easy out. Not an easy out over there at first. I had him love on my that, fantasy love team. Love that big boy. He's a good dude. And yeah. then there's Danny Jansen, who's their catcher, who can't hit for shit. But eight out of nine of those spots are not an easy out. Yeah. So if you're in the AL East, I suggest that you consider bolstering your starting rotation. Otherwise, you're going to get seven runs put up on you every single time you play the Blue Jays. Yeah. And and they're like, it feels like it all hinges. We're just really doing straight analysis at this point. It hinges, go, on the ro- hinges on the rotation. Like, they got a lot of pitchers who... My man Ross. Could, could be a three ERA or a five ERA. And there's kind of no in between, right? Robbie Ray. Uh... Nate Pearson break the bank like, for Tyler Chatwood <laughs> right, exactly Robbie Ray yeah. is a really tough hang really really I, tough I hang to watch I, I, used, I used to love him but that you know five walks per nine that's a little tough to it's swallow it's not fun to watch nope three true outcomes Robbie Ray's like I gotta keep up the walks portion of this equation <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to keep it in balance you know yeah exactly he's trying too to many get home it, runs like, and strikeouts nine, he's like wait we're forgetting about the third nine, true nine outcome <laughs> No, I, all right, let's move on for the Blue Jays, okay? Let's move on from the Blue Jays. Thank you for indulging my real, hashtag real analysis of Toronto. Shout out to all of our Canadian baseball fans and all of Back, our Blue Jays fans. Shout out Mark Shapiro. Sure. Um, and let's talk about the Red Sox really quickly because I mentioned those two moves that they made. Kike Hernandez, Garrett Richards. My takeaway from what the Red Sox are doing is, what the fuck, man? Why trade Mookie Betts? <laughs> a year and a half ago and then be like hey now we want to sign players that would have added to the team if Mookie Betts were still here and we were still okay Yeah, I guess because it's like they're at a decent contract right like Kike is two years 14 million mm-hmm. and I don't even know what Garrett Richards got I think it was but, like one year one year 10 million yeah so it's a test contract hashtag there's no one bad there's no bad one year contracts hashtag there's no one <laughs> I can't say that <laughs> Hashtag, there's no bad one-year contracts. But I would have really... I mean, I have a thing for Garrett Richards. I love him. Yeah. And I'm sad that he's been injured so many times. He was actually okay with the Padres and stretches. But I'm just very confused. I think that they're kind of course-correcting a little bit. Like, they blew it up with the Mookie trade. And then they were kind of surprised by how mad everyone was. How mad... All of baseball was, but how specifically mad Red Sox fans were to the point where they were like, we're not going to watch any games this year. The Nesson ratings were way down. There's a ton of reasons for that, but 
you can't deny that one of those reasons is probably because Mookie Betts wasn't playing every day for that baseball team. And I think that they're kind of, they're reeling him back in. My man Heimbloom was like, whoa, I did a little too much. If I did this with the Rays, everybody would have been okay with it. But I did it with the Red Sox and people are fucking mad. They have talk radio here in this town. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and like, you kind of, you you have to make moves like this if you're going to trade Mookie Betts. Like, that's kind of like holding up your end of the bargain is we have to clear some salary space so we can go in and tinker around the edges, right? Like, if if your assumption was that you couldn't afford Mookie Betts, you couldn't afford to pay him for an extension, we got to trade him, cash in on that value right now. It's like, all right, now what? Yeah, show me something. If it was about the money and not necessarily even about competition, right? Not about tearing it down. I mean... I guess it means that, you know, they're going to win 80 games and miss the playoffs by five games and trade Rafael Devers next offseason. Like, whatever. Like, Holy shit. <laughs> I mean, Ben Intendi is still supposed to be gone this offseason, too. Who knows yeah. if that happens, but. Same with, well, JBJ as well. Yeah. The fact that they it's, might break up that entire outfield, just, that's Marlins esque. Poverty it franchise just move. It just, it just doesn't. It doesn't make sense to me. It's so infuriating. They've done, and maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally, but they've done the exact opposite of what the average thinking person fan would would do. Which is, you would want to build around the hitter, and you would want to build around your incredible outfield defense. Which, need I remind you, literally won you a World Series in 2018. And now they have Chris Sale, who may or may not be healthy again for a full season in the rest of his career. And they have lost out on all three of those incredible outfielders. And they're left with Devers, who can't play a lick of defense, even though he's getting better. And he's still very young. Xander Bogarts, who is one of the top three shortstops in baseball. And all of those pitchers who are really questionable. You know, like they're left with Chris Sale. They're left with, they got rid of David Price. Thank God. Thank God, John Henry. We got rid of him. Uh, we got rid of him t- th- three years after we signed him to this exact contract, happily. <laughs> and they still have Nathan A. Avaldi, who is on a pretty big contract, who is very injury prone. They just signed Garrett Richards for one year 10, who's very injury prone. It's just confounding. It's just downright confounding. Yeah. You ever heard of a guy, Martin Perez? Yes. You ever heard of Nick Pavetta? Oh, man. I watched some. Oh, man. I watched some Nick Pavetta starts last year. Hell yeah, Philly's <laughs> legend. Uh, okay, we're really sticking in the AL East this week, but I I do need to talk to you about this Orioles thing because I I know that you didn't see it. I know that you didn't. I know that you were just vibing this weekend, not paying attention to Orioles arbitration shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> We don't say the name Peter Angelos enough on this podcast. And I just want to apologize. We've complained a lot. You know, fellow baseball fans who come here to um, commiserate in our hatred of Major League Baseball owners. If you're an Orioles fan who is one of those people, you haven't, you haven't been given enough attention. And I want to apologize for that. Let me just read you a couple, uh, a couple paragraphs from an article in The Athletic. I don't know who wrote this, but 
it, the screenshots were tweeted by our friends over at Locked on Orioles, which God bless you guys for having to do a daily podcast about the Baltimore Orioles right now. <laughs> In a highly unusual and potentially alarming example of slashing expenses this winter, the Orioles asked two arbitration eligible players to accept deferrals of a portion of their one year salaries so the full amounts wouldn't be on the 2021 ledger, according to multiple industry sources. As part of arbitration negotiations earlier this month, sources said, the Orioles hope to shift roughly 25% of the 2021 salaries for two of their best players, infielder outfielder Trey Mancini and outfielder Anthony Santander, to 2022 and or 2023 as a way to keep the club's payroll down as the Orioles struggle with cash flow after a pandemic-marred season without gate receipts. If the offers had been accepted, the Orioles could have removed roughly $1.5 million of the approximate $7 million earmarked for the two players from their expenditures in 2021. But players rejected the proposal, however, with Mancini eventually settling for $4.75 million, and Santander headed toward an arbitration hearing likely next month where he, where, when he'll receive either $2.475 million or $2.1 million. How unusual is the attempt to defer money on a one-year arbitration deal? Multiple agents and baseball arbitration experts were contacted for this story, and none had experienced such a request. One longtime agent who was not involved in arbitration negotiations with the Orioles in 2020 said, I have never heard of that. I've never even thought about that. Something like that has never been brought to me by a club in any way, shape, or form. A veteran of arbitration dealings from the owner's side, from the owner's side, said simply, wow. Just wow. I mean, just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Owners, owners are going to owner. Pulling out stops that owner side arbitration officials have never even heard of to save one and a half million dollars. Yeah. Totally normal franchise here. Not doing anything weird. Definitely yeah, can afford to own a baseball team here. Def- yeah. It Look seems at me. Like, I, uh... I can afford to own a baseball team. Me personally. I can. I can afford it. Yeah. Peter, but I can't afford out. that $1.5 million of arbitration <laughs> salary when these dudes' salaries are already being suppressed by the structure that we worked towards. Not to mention, what a slap in the face to Trey Mancini, who missed the whole 2020 season with literal cancer. Yep. Uh, Peter Angelos is such and, and an his enigma son John to Angel- me. And his son, John Angelos, who now runs the team. It's literally, it's a friend yes. of Jeff Wilpon 2.0. Yeah. I mean... Peter, we're on a first name basis, is Pete. an enigma to me because he has like had some weirdly pro labor stances over the course of his ownership, right? Refusing to uh, to field replacement players during the ninety four ninety five strike um, gained him a lot of uh, goodwill from fans and also from players, and a lot of bad will from the rest of the owners who needed to figure out how they were going <laughs> to tell Peter to, to get back in line. Um, and also hasn't dealt a lot in uh, Latin American countries in part because of just the <laughs> total lack of ethics around there, yeah. around uh, recruitment there. That said, he's still a literal billionaire who like when push comes to shove, we know where his interests lie. He's such and an interesting case. This is so, yeah, I know. But this is so, like, weirdly craven. I almost don't even have words to define how dumb this is. To save one and a half million dollars, which 
I mean, Rob Manfred would docu-sign $1.5 million from the MLB vaults to you in the next hour if you really needed it because you were going to go under. And yeah. you know that people are going to hear about this because obviously players' agents are going to make us think about this because it's it's ludicrous to ask them to accept deferrals during the time of their career where they're making the least. It's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. It's not a Bobby Bonilla situation where you signed him to a big deal and then you want to stretch it out for 50 years because you don't want to pay that for the next three years. It's not like that. And it's not yeah. because you're trying to contend now. You're not trying to save a million and a half dollars so that you can stay under the $220 million luxury tax. You, your payroll is under $100 million. So whatever. We've already accepted the fact that owners did make less money in 2020. But what about all those years where you were winning the AL East and you were filling out that ballpark? Yeah. Where's all well, that money? Where did it go? And, and I want to read again this line from the article, right? As a way to keep the club's payroll down, as the Orioles struggle with cash flow after a pandemic-marred season without gate receipts. Just an ab- absurd about, thing to think that we're going to accept at face value. About three, about three weeks ago, you may remember, we had Rob Maines on, who literally said, teams do not require cash flow <laughs> to actually operate. That's not how a baseball team works. Yeah. You make money and you lose money, but at the end of the day, you're not needing to bring in $20 million a year in order to get your return on investment. What, and, what you're, and you're not fans... relying on, on ticket sales anyway to right. pay players' salaries. Like, right. That's not where the money's coming from. What does he think the fans and the agents of Anthony, Anthony, San, Anthony Santander, <laughs> Anthony Santander and Trey Mancini... What does he think all of us assume about how baseball works? If they agree to this arbitration salary, does does Peter Angelos think that we think that he needs to take a bag of cash for one and a half million dollars to a fucking parking lot and drop it off for those dudes? Is that what he... Cash flow? The season hasn't even started yet. How do you know how much cash flow you're going to have to work with? How, how do you know that we're not going to have fans back in August? How do you know that you're not going to make the one and a half million dollars from some marketing deal that overperforms? It's absolute bullshit. It's just bullshit, dude. And also, like, this is the this is the free market, man. That's how this shit works. Maybe you should apply for a small business loan, (laughs) PPP loan. Let's get it. God, unbelievable, unbelievable. Okay, we've already gone so long. We have a lot of stuff to talk about still, Alex. We're like halfway through the episode, folks. Strap in. No, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) Because I have one more thing that I want to say before we take a break and come back and we talk about a a myriad of things that have happened in the last week. Jared Porter, The Athletic, writing about Trevor Bauer, owners donating to certain political candidates. A lot of stuff that we still have, have to get to. But before we do that, Alex, I have an important surprise for you. Okay. You know, we're talking a lot in this offseason about how it doesn't seem like MLB has their shit together with regards to the 2021 season, the rules, you know, whether we're going to have a full 162 games or whether we're going to start on time or all these different things. One of, what, how many teams are going to be in the playoffs? You brought that up earlier. One of the things that we don't have clarity on yet is the designated hitter. Mm-hmm. Alex, I'm willing to admit Oh to you God. here on this podcast 
I'm putting my ego aside. I'm putting my true thoughts about how the game of baseball should be played and honored. America's pastime. America's how, pastime. How it exactly. should be. Yep. How it should exist in our culture. <laughs> I'm putting it all aside. And I am saying to you, one man to another man on a podcast, which is redundant, that I think that there should be a universal DH. Yes. Oh my God. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. I just think it's so, I think it's so ridiculous that we're going back and forth. I think it's so absurd that we already did it for a season. Cats out of the bag. I just think that we should just, I've lost. I've lost. I hate to admit it. I did beat you in Monopoly last weekend, but I've lost in this. Wow. Wow. Dropping it on the Let me have this one. Let me have this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, your your capitalist tendencies kind of came out during that, but we won't. We don't have to clue the list. That's not true at all. That's not true at all. Right, right, right. Oh, wow. This is... This is good. This is going to carry me into Monday. I'm just going to say that. Yeah. And you know, it doesn't I doesn't feel I feel wrong. I feel it feels I know, wrong. I know. It must feel tough. And really like I appreciate your your humility in this situation. Um because you know, this is this is what crossing the aisle looks like. Like frankly, this is the unity that our country needs right now. Yeah. Universal DH then universal healthcare. That's all I'm saying. Is it a domino effect? It's not not. It's just so dumb that they just can't make up their mind about it. And I know. they clearly want to do it. So they should just do it. I've just given up on like moral judgment about how the game should be played aside. It's just in terms of common sense, it makes no sense for them to have it in one league not have it in the other league after they already had it in the other league for one year. It just yeah. makes no well, sense. And the whole thing where it's been like years of them being like, yeah, we kind of really don't know what we're going to do with this rule. It's like, guys, just do you it. Fucking, just fucking figure you it out. You implemented a pitch clock after like a month of trying it out in the minor leagues. Yeah. Like just, yeah, just do it. That's why I'm conceding. It has nothing to do with how I feel the game should be played. And if I were starting a league from scratch, no DH, <laughs> no DH, no DH. Um, this feels bad. Let's just go to break. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we should probably talk about uh, what happened with Jared Porter, the new and now former Mets GM. Uh, I want to preface this with a trigger warning that this conversation involves sexual harassment. Um, so feel free to skip ahead 15 minutes or, or press pause on that on the episode. ESPN came out with a story on Monday evening last week, so about a week prior to this podcast coming out. Um, it was by Mina Kimes and Jeff Passan that basically detailed that uh, Jared Porter, while he was with the Chicago Cubs, um, harassed a female reporter and sent explicit pictures to her uh, in 2016. Like sent barrages of texts that went 
unresponded to uh, 62 texts. And, uh, and they obtained this story in 2017, decided not to run it since the, the woman didn't feel comfortable sharing the story, feared for retaliation, and then recently came forward or, or came back to ESPN and said, you know, I think it's important that this come out now. Um, and, the, and the Mets fired him. And I think that this past week, all of us have been kind of reeling from that news and trying to figure out how to um, place that in the in the larger conversation around treatment of women in baseball. And frankly, these are not easy conversations to uh, to have. But I I want to start off by saying that like the Mets did the right thing and like the easy thing, yeah, which was firing him next day like no no real bullshit like there was a little pr like speak in there but for the most part i think i my guess is that steve cohen had did not want this as like a stain on his first year as the owner of the mets so good on them for getting rid of him and also the fact that he was able to get away with so much with weeks and months of harassment I think indicates that there is a lot more of this kind of thing going on uh, in baseball than, than we'd like to admit. Um, If Jared Porter could get a GM's position without them finding out about any of this stuff, I promise you that this kind of thing has happened before, maybe to a lesser degree, maybe to a greater degree, but it shouldn't take a whistleblower, a person needing to share their story for this sort of thing to come out. And, uh, I don't know. I want to I want to throw it over to you Bobby because you it is your baseball team. Yeah. Um but also like it's not exclusive to the Mets. There was a lot of like lol Mets conversation going on when Which this story bad. came out and it's like yeah, if you think this is a problem that is endemic to the Mets and not the sport at large, it's there's something wrong. First of all, I want to say the the people who take to these kinds of stories and look for a way to either like crack jokes or make this about the competition among teams within the NL East. It's just extremely weird and inappropriate and people should not do that. It's not a lol lol Mets thing, as you said. I think something that you said there that the Mets did the, did the right thing, but also did the easy thing. um, It reminds me of what, you know, many, many people said this on Twitter, but, two people that you know we know and have had on the show before that I saw making the same point, Lindsay Adler and Emma Bacheleri, that the Mets did the easy clear-cut thing in this instance. It'll be interesting to see what teams do when the situation is not as clear-cut because this situation was. There was this full ESPN story. The behavior was abhorrent and it was a clear-cut situation for a new owner who had claimed that he cares about creating a culture and a work environment that doesn't tolerate this type of thing. Um, I've been having a hard time thinking anything other than that thought that Emma and Lindsay made for the last week because I just you just don't know. And this is not the first time that something like this has happened and it's not going to, unfortunately, probably not going to be the last. And I'm glad that the Mets fired him so quickly. Um, 
because there's just no place for this in baseball. Um, but I'm I'm a little bit interested to see how MLB systematically tries to become better with something like this, with harassment, with sexual harassment. Um, because you know Hannah Kaiser asked Sandy Alderson in the press conference. You know, there was a lot of talk about Jared Porter got glowing reviews from all of the people, the references in the in the GM search process. And Hannah Kaiser said, did you ask any women? And they just said no. And that's not even guaranteeing that asking a woman that Jared Porter worked with, you know, in the Cubs front office or at the Diamondbacks, that that would have brought something like this to light. Because it's not necessarily true. but. I think it was so indicative and revelatory that when Hannah Kaiser asked that question, Sandy Alderson had to defiantly say no. And it's just so, just got so far to go. I I don't know how else to say it, but baseball as a sport, sports in general, this country in general, just has so far to go in terms of inclusivity of women in positions of power. And throughout organizations like the Mets or through, like the Cubs, like the Diamondbacks. And I also want to say I don't want to minimize the other portion of this story, which is that the woman was not from the United States. She was from a country that went unnamed in the story, but was then unprofessionally and irresponsibly outed in, in media later that week. But I'll leave that on the side for now. I don't want to minimize that portion of it in that she was a foreign reporter, minority woman who the different levels of power imbalance here in this equation allowed it to, like you said, go on this long unnoticed because she then left the journalism industry entirely. And yes, of course, the the power dynamic between Jared Porter, a man in a position of power, and this woman who was a reporter is massive, but there's also a power dynamic in that this woman is not from here. It, it said in the story that her native country stuff, stuff like this happens a lot. And she didn't quite know what to do about it. Now that it was happening here, I don't want to minimize that portion of this because that, as we talk about how baseball should do better globally, this is a big aspect of that too, is Inclusivity from people from all parts of the world as it pertains to Major League Baseball, which thinks of itself as the center of the baseball universe. There's a lot there in terms of discomfort, power imbalances when it comes to a foreign reporter coming here to cover this massive entangled entity that is Major League Baseball. Yeah, and I think that point about it thinking of itself as the center of the baseball universe is kind of important here because there's a level of responsibility that comes at that uh, to actually set the stage for what an inclusive sport looks like. If you want to say that you're the arbiter of baseball, then that means it's on you and you alone to really create an environment that is welcoming to anyone who kind of wants to be there. Um, And I think that every woman who has worked in sports has faced some degree of pushback or harassment. Um, and 
you know, Jared Porter didn't act alone. Like there were systems that were set up to benefit him. Um, and people who maybe be, maybe wanted to smooth this over or get it settled, you know, out, out of the public eye. Um, so like, this is the kind of thing that you can't pretend is any sort of isolated incident. Um, and it's really only unfortunate that it took so much for, for it to come out because I, I don't know. I can't imagine the mental toll that receiving that sort of thing um, can take on someone. So good riddance to Jared Porter. I'll say that. Get his slimy ass out of the game. But I think every MLB team needs to do some internal reflection on whether or not this is the kind of thing that could happen with their organization. And like the Cubs bear a lot of responsibility here too. And I, I haven't seen uh, them say much, but like, yeah, they're it was, conducting it was, an internal investigation. Right. It was their culture that aided and abetted this sort of thing and propped him up and put him in that position of power. So like, Yeah, I want to close. I, I, I want to close by kind of echoing this point in, in the screenshot that Meg Rowley singled out that we retweeted from from the article, um, where it says while she, while she and the she in this case is the reporter, while she said the fallout of the text from Porter wasn't the sole reason for leaving the industry, it caused her to think about her future and how remaining around baseball long term was simply untenable. And Meg said this is heartbreaking, and it absolutely is. It it absolutely is. It's a it's a very very heartbreaking story in a sport that is full of a lot of heartbreaking stories. I think we should stick on the Mets while we're here, um, and while we're talking about heartbreaking and heavy shit. Um, Ken Rosenthal wrote a report in the Athletic in the last week detailing how now that the Mets have missed out on George Springer, they're interested. They they remain interested and. In, intrigued by the idea of signing Trevor Bauer. Uh, and, you know, you don't need me to tell you the parallels between these two stories. If you're listening to this podcast, you have probably seen many people draw these two parallels on Twitter in the last week um, because Trevor Bauer and his fans have long been associated with harassment on Twitter, with, you know, borderline or straight up sexual harassment on Twitter or anti-Semitic harassment on Twitter, targeting specific women in the media or targeting specific women on Twitter and harassing them. And Rosenthal's piece left that out when he first wrote it. And then they wrote a, a correction or an addition to it in which he named that this was part of the equation for why Mets fans, some Mets fans don't want him on the team. And in that addition, he then tagged these women <laughs> linked out to their Twitters and set them up for more targeted harassment. So you can just see how when we talk about systematically how baseball disenfranchises women within the sport or as fans of the sport, what we mean about how it's a feedback loop. And God, I don't know. Number one, I'm so, I'm so sick of hearing about Trevor Bauer to the Mets rumors. It just really upsets me as a fan of the team. And I, I don't know what to make of that because obviously I am in one of the most protected classes of people 
in this country, and it won't really change my life all that much if Trevor Bauer signs with the Mets. But it might change other people's lives who want to vocalize that they don't want this dude on their team. And I just don't know where to go from here because we, we can't really exert pressure on Steve Cohen not to sign Trevor Bauer, can we? I don't know, man. We have uh, more of an open line to him than any other owner. Um, yeah, I, the the media, I think, needs to take more responsibility for its role in making an inclusive environment for people to actually be a fan of this game because shit like this is just generally irresponsible like from a journalistic perspective that's you it's the type of thing that you you shouldn't write you shouldn't leave in an edit you shouldn't leave in a copy edit you shouldn't leave in a last spot check and you shouldn't fucking publish and then when you do publish it if somebody says something about it you should issue a correction and it's still up i'm sorry to get mad but like you and i have been through the editorial process on a million and five stories many of which were sensitive to specific people, and you just don't let stuff like this through. You just don't. It would have been almost better to not say anything at all, which is, like, weird because we absolutely should talk about how shitty Trevor Bauer is. But, like, if your choices are either just pretend like baseball exists in a vacuum or out the people that Trevor Bauer has sicked his fans on, I don't just just be Ken Rosenthal for for one day, you know? And again, I'm not pretending like those are the only two choices and we absolutely, like the media carries water for Trevor Bauer and Rachel Luba and their, you know, that whole ilk um, of players and and agents. Like there's a lot of water that is carried on their behalf. Um, That's a voice. Come on, man. Yes, I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't have... I it's just just like no, I don't Ken have a Rosenthal ton on this either. Apologize, yeah. like oh, I don't have a ton on this either. Other than it just feels like the thing that we can't not acknowledge. It's it's another it's the next test. It's another test, stress test for what the culture that Steve Cohen really wants to build is about. You know, it's maybe one of those situations that Lindsay and Emma were alluding to, where it's not as cut and dry. It's a little bit more gray. Because plenty of teams have shown interest in Trevor Bauer, so you have cover. You know, the Angels want to sign him, so why can't we sign him? The Reds just traded for him, why can't we sign him? Cleveland developed him, kept him, and then got a lot back for him, so why can't we sign him? It's Well, and also, like, you know, he is not necessarily the one who is actively taking these malicious actions i mean i think he's egging them on and encouraging them but in some like, cases he is you know though. you can in some like no i i know i mean he's you know when you quote tweet some like someone and or in the like, case of that dunk on one, them or whatever in case of the one random fan the one random woman who just happened to respond to him he responded to her and he tweeted her like over a hundred times we talked about that on this show yeah yeah I think it's easier to like defer responsibility here, right? And be like, oh, well, you know, this is social media. He's just, it's off the cuff. It's unintentional, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's very telling that the story that Ken Rosenthal wrote was here's what teams are thinking about Trevor Bauer, updated with notes on his social media antics, you know, rather than the other way around. Yeah. It's also, frankly, telling about. Trevor Bauer that 
he's like kind of finally coming out and being like, I don't condone any harassment that happens on my behalf when this can't be the first time you've known about this, that people were harassing women on your behalf on Twitter. And when a large part of who you are as a, a figure, who you are as a baseball player, who you exist as in the baseball universe is someone who's active on social media is someone who has this YouTube channel that you're promoting all of the time. You're interacting with people on Twitter. You were there. You knew that this is a large part of your personality. There's no way that you could be surprised that people are making Holocaust jokes in the replies of a reporter who said one bad thing about you. It Good just sport. It just reeks of it. It's the same defense that like Barstool people use all the time. Yeah. It's like, yeah. hey, I'm just tweeting out, you know, I'm tweeting out my feelings about this sport that I love. And so what if I'm a little non-PC sometimes? And then you just don't know that all of these other people who are big, big fans of you are also harassing people in their day-to-day lives. I, I don't And where I'll go Can't explain, I'll never know But it's beautiful um, another thing that happened this past week, Alex, is that we're riding for Biden as a country now, my friend. Can you can you even believe <laughs> this is a politics podcast? Can, now. You, can you even believe that all of this stuff has happened in the last two weeks? You and I, okay. The reason that we're just talking about our our pod that came out last week, some of the stuff that we've discussed on this podcast here had already happened by the time we put our pot out last week, but we banked it in advance and recorded with Michael Bauman the week prior. So we're kind of catching up on 10, 10 or 11 days of news here at this point. But this one, the, the presidential inauguration happened five days ago. And the reason I'm talking about this is because guess who, guess who was in attendance? Bobby, tell me who was in attendance, It's Alex please. Rodriguez, bro. Oh. He shows up, he's like... The- <laughs> He's like Bloody Mary, dude. If you say his name three times at a public event, he's just there yeah. in the stands with his camera phone up. <laughs> <laughs> Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, dude is inescapable. It's amazing to me, though. And Alex Rodriguez has now kind of taken the belt away from Tim Tebow and that we give an update on what he's doing at the end of every mm-hmm. podcast because Tim Tebow no longer doing stuff interesting enough for us to talk about on the show. But it's amazing to me how many events Alex Rodriguez is at where it actually makes sense that he's there. That's the part of all of this where everybody's making jokes. You know, you can find pictures of Alex Rodriguez in various places. And um, and friend of the show, June Lee, had a great Twitter thread about all of the places that Alex Rodriguez just randomly shows up. Of course, the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden Jr. King. Uh, the Super Bowl. MLB All-Star Week in D.C., which, of course, it makes sense that he's there. Uh, <laughs> an empty Times Square celebration this year where he's just, he's live. There's 18 seconds on this screenshot left in the clock and the camera's on A-Rod and J-Lo and random people masked up. <laughs> he's in the crowd sitting behind Lady Gaga after she won her Oscar for best musical performance or best song in a in a movie for um star is born he's at the met gala he's at the grammys he's on shark tank he's on baseball tonight he's vlogging from the super bowl halftime show which i, I already mentioned but 
it just it just it all makes sense. It all makes sense that he's in all of these places because he's a big celebrity because of baseball. So he's at every baseball event. It makes sense for him to be at any sporting event. But then J Lo occupies an entirely different space where she's at all of the like celebrity celebrity events, like the Met Gala. She's performing at Super Bowl. You know, she right, like a rod is like in his own right does not deserve to be any of these places and only gets in because he's family and friends of Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it's just it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to June. Yeah. But I don't know if you heard Bobby, but our buddy got in a little bit of hot water. This past week, actually, he's been in hot water for for a few years. Our, but our buddy, um, but our it's buddy coming A-Rod? to a head. Our buddy A Rod. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I haven't no, heard. Not, not June Lee or <laughs> or any of our other other buddies. Okay, thanks. thanks. Good. <laughs> uh, would you believe it if I told you that uh, A Rod is being sued for racketeering and embezzlement? Hold like, on. Wait. Let you... me look up A Rod net worth. <laughs> okay, 475 million. Yeah, I'd believe it. Yep. Yeah. You don't even have to look at his net worth. Just go to arodcorp.com and see the pictures that, you know, bounce across the the screen and you're like, oh, okay. This guy would commit uh fraud. He would fraud me out of a business. I think you're forgetting how many A-Rod YouTube videos I've watched in my life with all the quarter zips, <laughs> with all of the blazers, with the no tie underneath, all that stuff. Like, would I believe that he's on a little racketeering sure allegedly yeah. allegedly 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 but like whom among us you know like we've all been there when you uh divorce uh your wife in 2008 <laughs> and then have to screw your wife's brother out of um the real estate venture that you went in on together like it happens to the best of us in 2003 A-Rod went in on this real estate business deal with his then brother-in-law. This is 2003. Dude is like a young baseball player. He's like and already, MVP, already MVP. knew what he wanted to do with his life. Yeah. He's a winning yeah. MVP. That's right. such it's, important context for this because I was reading this last night and I was like, yeah, of course. I mean, have you read anything about what he's been doing for the last five years? And this yeah. is not f- for the last five years. This was the first five years of his business ventures. <laughs> right. Which is like... It is kind of very telling that, like, he probably got tired of being a superstar in baseball, like, relatively quickly. Like, obviously loved the center of attention, but very much was like, yeah, this is my income stream for now, but I'm going to triple this, you know, with all my investments. Like, his baseball was not his end goal. I'm scrolling um, the carousel of his website of arodcorp.com, which I suggest that Mm -hmm. all of our listeners do in their free time. It's just pictures of him with like big splash text on it with different buzzy like Silicon Valley words. The first one says scaling. The second one says building, driving, expanding, reaching. And <laughs> it remains goof, goofy ass smile I know. on the re- on the reaching slide. <laughs> it remains confounding to me that people just say this stuff and then investors give them money or people Mm -hmm. give their money to them to do stuff with like i joked one time on twitter that if we marketed ourselves as a booming multimedia baseball brand 
with very good year over year return on listener growth and a dedicated fan base willing to uh spend money on physical product as well as engage with us in the digital space of podcasting that we'd have like 50 people lined up at my fucking front door trying to give us you know fifty thousand dollars of seed investment money for our stupid little podcast that barely anybody listens to by the way if you're listening right now please tell a friend about tipping pitches (laughs) (laughs) but it really is like that's real that's real this is what a rod's entire a rod corp is just reaching Mm -hmm. just reaching just building just scaling you know yeah just driving what are you doing i'm scaling what are you doing this weekend i'm just i'm scaling and i'm reaching what are you doing this weekend? I'm driving and I'm building. What the fuck is all this shit, dude? <laughs> anyway, did you want to finish your point about the racketeering? Allegedly, alleged racketeering. I don't even, I mean, I mean, right. Uh, yeah. Allegedly, this is, you know, not, we're not getting sued over here. Uh, this just, this whole, so first of all, I, this is all alleged, um, but I believe a large majority of it because, I mean, Alex Rodriguez is a business person. And yeah, this is you know, par for the course. This is the playbook that, right here. It it comes with the territory. It's I would I would have been shocked if he hadn't done anything remotely illegal with his uh, businesses over the course of his career. Um, so he's so he's currently on the hook for uh, like fifty million dollars or so. Um, but I do want to read this part uh, from the lawsuit that is just like incredible, vivid imagery and that uh i don't know it's an inspired piece of writing about our boy alice rodriguez mm-hmm. um so this is in the lawsuit that's filed by um the, the man's name is constantine skirtis and it was over there um original not a real name not a real name no and they and if, if your was, name was constantine skirtis i don't think we could do this pod together it's like jesus i'm, wow. I'm bobby wagner i'm constantine skirtis and this is tipping pitches <laughs> sure it's r- real, like, pitcher for the Boston Browns energy, you know? <laughs> and or, like... Constantine Skirtis threw 400 innings pitched and in or Russian Russian owner of the Everton Football Club, boy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this is uh, part four. This is on page 27, in case any of you are, you know, yearning to go read this itself. The title is Rodriguez Cheats on His Wife, Then His Brother-in-Law. Good title. Good headline. Good title. Yeah. Oh, it's riveting stuff. Would, in the beginning of 2000, you did click. In the beginning of 2007, rumors of Rodriguez's infidelity began to jeopardize the marriage. In the face of numerous reports that Rodriguez had been cheating on his wife, Rodriguez assured Skirtis that he was face faithful to Skirtis's sister. Skirtis took him at his word. Reports of his re- repeated infidelity began to affect the business. In July 2007, the New York Post reported that Rodriguez had been caught entering a hotel room with a stripper. The day before that report, the stripper's parents purchased a condo from their partnership. The New York Post actually reported that Skirtis had been the individual to sign the paperwork for the sale. So, first of all, like, all again, all this stuff happened. Like, there was, you know, paper trail for all of this stuff. Alex Rodriguez, like you know, negotiated some under-the-table handshake deal to just get a real estate property to the literal mistress that he was cheating on his wife with. Who am I? And us? his brother was the one to sign the his business partner slash 
brother-in-law signed the paperwork. Yeah, exactly. At the time, Rodriguez assured Skirtis that all the reports were untrue and it was only his friends who were cavorting with strippers. Meanwhile, Skirtis unwittingly became part of Rodriguez's cheating. The negative media attention caused him personal distress and was an unwelcome distraction from his focus on the business. Indeed, in the middle of 2007, Rodriguez and Skirtis visited Boston to discuss business with one of their mentors as they walked across the, bo- the Boston Common. A lot of reading on this pod. A lot of reading on this pod. Skirtis asked Rodriguez to look him in the eye and let him know the truth. Do you want to do a dramatic reenactment of this? I'll be Skirtis. Yeah, I'll be Skirtis. Book me in the eye. <laughs> I don't. Is he from Brooklyn? I don't know why. <laughs> Tell me the truth. <laughs> Skirtis told Rodriguez that even if the in- allegations of Rodriguez's infidelity were true, even if the allegations pref- of infidelity are truth. true, I want to know the truth. <laughs> Rodriguez, here, uh, I'll just all embody Alex. Here we go. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. Constantine, I need you to know. He's from Brooklyn now, n- too, I guess. <laughs> Tell me the I truth. Never, I have never been unfaithful. To my wife. I'm a big wife guy. Big wife guy. Big wife guy. I would never cheat on my wife. Honestly. I've never cheated in my life. <laughs> I never will. Oh, God. Oh. Anyway, this story continues. Like, there's actually a lot of really juicy stuff in here. And there's also a lot about, like, shell companies and how Alex Rodriguez exploited, like, Hurricane Ike to um, commit insurance fraud. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, you know. So what you're saying the mill stuff. is that Rob Manfred fucked up by not letting him be a baseball owner. This he was is, the perfect candidate. I, I mean, this rap sheet right here, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> is an amazing CV, an amazing resume for becoming a baseball owner. Yes. Like, what? No. Like, you know, you make your money in oil. You do a little bit of insurance and real estate fraud. You do a little, you racketeer a bit. I don't even know if that's the present tense verb for racketeering. You, you rack a little tear. And yep. then you're on your way. Then you own the fucking pirates. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. Uh, extremely par for the course for Alex Rodriguez. I got to say, this dude just kind of like, seems like, you know, we don't victim blame here, but he kind of just let A-Rod walk all over him. Like, A-Rod owned 95% of the real estate we're business. We're talking about Constantine? Be- because it was, we're talking about Constantine, yeah. Because yeah. it was all A-Rod's money. So Constantine only ever really owned 5% anyway. And then one day, two of A-Rod's reps just like walked into Constantine's office and was like, all right, get out. So yeah, Constantine was like the Scott Boris of the equation. Right, yeah. Good for A-Rod. I hope that... Uh, I hope that this is all not true because people probably actually got fucked over by some of this stuff. So I hope it's not true. And I hope, 100%. I hope that Constantine is lying because he's bitter about seeing a picture of Alex Rodriguez with a stripper and that Alex Rodriguez continues to be able to go to an empty Times Square to celebrate the New Year's Eve ball drop. I hope it's all false. All that being said, Alex, let's wrap this episode of Dipping Pitches here because <laughs> it's, been, it's been a journey and a ridiculous episode. Um, thank you for bringing all Thank of that, that wonderful detail about the racketeering and insurance mm-hmm. fraud allegations. Big racketeering pod. Uh, would you would you 
commit racketeering if we had a massive successful business? Would you skim a little off the top for yourself? I wouldn't even be mad. You, you could do as much racketeering as you want because we're equal partners in this and we get to decide what the funds are going towards. It's Can we just freely as we want for a second? Because like I would embezzle because, you know, which is I, I guess I guess what he did was like. He's, oh, he I'm, set I'm up confusing a racketeering and embezzling. Okay, right. I was because I was just gonna say racketeering is just like general like crime, right? <laughs> it's like just rich person crime. I think it says here's what. Am I correct in that? Yeah, dishonest and fraudulent business dealings. That's just business. The uh, the Oxford example for this is racketeering ensnared the economy like use it in a sentence racketeering ensnared the economy i'll say oxford english dictionary yeah that's wow that's a big like um beginning of your essay vibes you know racketeering is defined we live in a society that's ensnared by racketeering (laughs) (laughs) exhibit a one alex exhibit exhibit a major league baseball true um oh so you would so you would embezzle then you would steal or misappropriate money placed in one's trust or belonging to the organization for which one works example sentence she had embezzled 5.6 million dollars in company funds you can embezzle but not 5.6 mil bro we don't have that we don't have that kind of money you can embezzle like ten (laughs) dollars buy yourself a fucking coffee exactly Yeah, once we start raking in the big bucks, turn you know, turn this into an LLC, <laughs> which is which is a true thing that we're gonna do. You know, it's fine. It's business, dude. It's that's part of the deal. Agreed. Agreed. You built in that expectation. Um, please tell all your friends about tipping pitches if you enjoy this. We, unlike Alex Rodriguez, do not have the funds for a gigantic marketing business with sleek carousel up top so that we can do scaling driving building uh expanding and uh what's the last one reaching 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 is the last one that's the one reaching is that's the big one we need you to help us out with the reaching portion of it so tell a friend rate us on itunes share your favorite episode or just dm us or email us um things you do or don't enjoy about the podcast it's tipping pitches pod at uh I'm going to say tippingpitchespod at email.com. <laughs> it's tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. Tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. We appreciate y'all, and we will be back again next Monday. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping Pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!